everyone. Welcome back to I've Been Thinking with your host, Brietta. That's me. I'm always happy and privileged to be able to share the platform with you all. And over the past several weeks, I have felt sort of an embarrassment of riches when it comes to bringing people to this space that I feel are going to help us add to the conversation. As you all know, I'm always eager to speak with people who can help broaden our perspective about any and all things, really. But specifically, you know that we've been talking, if you've been listening to the past several episodes, we've been having conversations um, with other creatives and other artists who can share some new perspectives as we as a country and as a creative community sort of really rally around the idea of equity and inclusivity in, in, in both race, ethnicity, but probably also socioeconomics. I mean, I think it all melts together. But um, I have Carolina Vasquez. She's a Chicana cinematographer. She lives in LA, but she's an NYU alum. And um, when I was reaching out to my alumni network, um, she and I were able to connect. And I think that she um, is going to bring some some new information to us that hopefully will make us think about things that maybe we've never quite thought about before, which is always the goal. So hi, Carolina, how are you? Hi, Brianna. Very good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So introduce yourself to people. I know I gave like a little blurb, but introduce yourself to people. Tell them a little bit about you. Um, yes, I am a 27-year-old Chicana. I identify as Chicana as I, uh, we had a conversation about. Um, I, it's similar to Chicanix, but uh, given that X is not a very commonly used letter in the Spanish language. Chicane is a little easier for those who are uh, more inclined to the Spanish language to pronounce and understand kind of what we're going for um, in, ter- in terms of gender neutral terms. Um, I'm a cinematographer. I live in LA. I was actually born and raised here and then went to NYU to go study film and learn about the world and quickly realized I'm not really equipped for uh, winter, so I <laughs> uh, came back after five years, but I absolutely love my time in New York, and I miss it every day for different reasons, but ultimately happy to be back home near family. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's hard. I I was relatively raised on the East Coast, although I grew up literally all over the world. I'm a military kid, so I grew up all over the oh, wow. world. But um, but I, I identify as an East Coast kid, but I did take a trip many years ago to Santa Monica. I mean, I had been to LA for like business and stuff, but like Santa Monica was like the first time that I was like, oh, wow, I could really live on the West Coast. <laughs> like I could I could get used to this very, very quickly. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think, to your point, there's something special about New York, but there's nothing that really beats being like close to family and in that regard. Yeah, totally agree. It's funny you mentioned Santa Monica because that's exactly where I was born and raised. So. Oh my God. Well then, yes, you get it. I I loved my time there and since that time have been going back regularly. So I'm a big fan of, of the space. I mean, <laughs> I mean, granted, I am purely there vacationing, but um, but it's still a beautiful, <laughs> a beautiful place to live. Um, you know, one yeah, of the- can't th- complain. You really can't complain. Um, <laughs> so, one of the things that you know you and I were sort of talking about 
even before we started recording was this idea of sort of where we are, this sort of moment in time that we're finding ourselves in. And I think you said it beautifully right before we sort of went to air, which was like, we're having conversations for the first time that probably we should have been having all along. Um, and maybe we have been having them all along, but there's more people at the table for these conversations. And I think that that has been something that's been both welcomed, but also I don't know that we have a framework for where we are. And so that's why I'm constantly sort of asking people their perspective about how are you sort of thinking about this moment in time? That's a good point. Um... Well, for me personally, like I said, I think these conversations should have been happening way long before this moment, as we can see just so much bubbling up at this point. Um, for me, I am really kind of loving this moment because I, I studied film, but I also minored in social and cultural analysis. So in, at NYU, I had a lot of these conversations throughout my college career and it's it's kind of exciting to be able to use that knowledge again because yeah. unfortunately I haven't really had much instances where I've been able to reference all the things that I actually minored in and got a semi degree in. So, totally. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really exciting to see, and it's and it's also a little reassuring too to see how many people want to engage and want to mm -hmm. be involved in this too because you know you you always think your friends are great people and you know they would be down with the cause given the chance but this is like the time now that people are stepping up and taking action and it's really exciting to see how many of like your friends are coming up and supporting and helping and seeing how many different types of people from different walks of life i've gone yeah. to some of the protests here in la and that has just been the most hopeful thing I've seen throughout this whole COVID experience is just seeing so many people from all over just coming together and making sure we're all okay, whether it's passing out masks, passing out hand sanitizer, passing out food, water, whatever. Like it's, it was just so beautiful to see so many different people. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that I have found particularly encouraging through this is, and I think you hit on that, which is you have this assumption that given the opportunity, people would want to support something that um, it seems, it, it, I, and I hate to say it this way, but it seems like a no brainer, right? Like it seems like something that we right. should all, whether you agree with every nuanced point in all of this, I think that it right. seems sort of like a collective understanding that we as a human global community should be really trying to rally around each other and support each other. But I do have to say that there's always sort of that initial gut reaction that I have of like, I hope that people will take this moment seriously. And then to see the momentum. And I think really what was more encouraging to me than the protests that were happening in the States was it was when I saw it spilling over into the global community that for mm -hmm. me particularly felt really energizing because it felt like such a barrier was broken down and people understood that it really wasn't about this American man who was murdered. This was about a systemic approach 
to like the way we value life and all of sort of the things that are wrapped around that. And I'm curious from your perspective, because, and I don't want to assume you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you identify as a person of color. And so if you identify as a person of color, but you're not black, how are you looking at this particular moment in time? How, how does that, how does that resonate with you? Uh, yeah, that's, I think, the most important thing for us non-Black people of color to recognize, too, especially within the Latina community. There's obviously we, there's a huge history of anti-Blackness within our own community, and I think it's especially important to recognize the privilege that we have in not being Black. I mean, the privilege I have in my, even my skin color, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, on the fair side of most Latina in my community, there are many, I have a lot of friends who are darker than me and I have to recognize just the privilege I have in my quote unquote whiteness of being able to, you know, probably get by with more things if I were to get in trouble. And I think it's it's something that we definitely have to recognize. And I think this kind of ties into like the whole uh, all lives matter thing. Totally. Of like, yes, we agree that that immigrants and brown people have also been unfairly treated in this uh, country, but we have to recognize that right now it's a reckoning for black people. Right. And we need to all stand together for the black community. And we can't, we can't, like they say, we can't say all lives matter until black lives matter because currently they're, they don't. And that's an issue and we need to correct this. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you brought up that I think is really important is that I, I often say this, you know, sort of in a lot of different areas of my life, which is like, don't compound the issues. Oftentimes we sort of roll everything up into one big issue. And we think that by addressing that we're really solving it. And it's like, no, we really need to break apart this issue. It's very complex. And I think that there is this bit of tension that happens between non-Black people and um, people of color who are not Black and Black people, like the intersectionality between sort of those three populations. I think there's tension there because there's an assumption that all Brown people will understand, you know, what Black people are trying to accomplish through that. And I think you hit on it beautifully, which is like, yes, every marginalized population understands in some way what it feels like to be oppressed by the powers that be, but there are nuanced mm -hmm. issues that, <laughs> that are very specific to the community that you can't really, you know, like a prime example, when we talk about immigration as an issue, like I can fundamentally do the research and be as educated as I possibly can about that, but there are nuances to that that I don't know. And that means that I shouldn't be the primary voice trying to educate people in that space. And so I, I think that what you're saying is really key. Um, for, from your perspective, when you, when you hit on sort of that anti-Blackness perspective within, um, within certain communities, how do you think people are reconciling that with trying to support a movement like Black Lives Matter? Because we see everybody is out there. So there seems to be some way that people are able to navigate that. How, are you finding that there's a particular reason or, or way that people are able to sort of overcome that sentiment? Um, well, one way I've definitely seen myself and my friends, we have in a really great group chat with 
bunch of amazing ladies who just talk about these issues all day, every day. <laughs> um, but the big thing is, yeah, we, we recognize our privilege and our skin color. And that's, I think that's definitely the first step in trying to help is just recognizing just the way, I mean, me being privileged, having grown up in Santa Monica, me being privileged for the color of my skin, um, me being privileged with uh, two parents that are college educated as well. Like mm-hmm. just even getting down to the nitty gritty of it and yeah. just recognizing that we all have privilege in some sense, some more than others. And we have to recognize that first. So then, you know, we have to look at our own selves to then be able to send that outwards and to be able to help and, and, and reconcile with the system that has oppressed us for so long. I mean, it's even goes even as deep as, as you seeing the census is a big thing that's coming out on the fact that in, in the section of race, there's only black, white, Asian, other. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't personally see myself as black, white, or Asian. So I always have to pick other. Right. And I'm sure there's definitely a lot of, a lot of uh, tension in the Latina community, just trying to figure out where they fall along to, because for a long time, the history of our people, like we were considered white for a great majority of, in terms of the census. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until the creation of the word Hispanic in the 50s that they started to separate us from mm-hmm. white people and just that whole identity kind of crisis that yeah. I think we all face every time we have to fill out a census because I don't identify with any of these races, but right. I'm still required to pick one. Um, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because I think, you know, that I, that idea about identity is something that we're just forever combating, you know, it just seems to be an ever present Mm -hmm. issue and it's less about how I see myself versus how I see myself in comparison to how the world sees me and, and, and the tension between those Mm -hmm. things I think is constantly happening from, from, from your perspective, I'm interested because you are an artist, you're a storyteller. And so do you think that the way you're viewing this moment of time has, do you think that being a storyteller is giving you sort of a unique perspective about how you're viewing this moment moment in time? I, I, I was saying to someone earlier, I feel like by virtue of what we do, we're constantly sort of trying to stay very intimately connected to the human narrative. And so for that reason, I feel like maybe there's a part of us that is a little bit more inclined to be in touch with sort of like the human sentiment at this moment. But I don't know if you, if you feel that from your perspective as a storyteller and as an artist. That's actually a really great point. I was just thinking about it even today um, with, you know, it being Juneteenth today and people posting about it. And I I didn't realize that I guess this wasn't common knowledge what Juneteenth was Mm -hmm. until I saw many people just, you know, on social media reacting to it. And that's when it kind of hit me. Like, I guess it makes sense because I didn't learn about Juneteenth in school at all. I learned it through TV, movies, just seeing videos of it on social media and educating myself that way. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we as filmmakers and storytellers, yeah, we do have a great advantage in being so in touch with humans and their stories, no matter from what walks of life. And we're just exposed to so much more. 
Yeah. Because, you know, we're avidly just going out and watching whatever we can get our hands on. Right. We're just exposed to so many more stories that are out there in the world that are being told. And unfortunately, not many other people really do that. So I think it's, you know, I mean, Netflix is just putting out so much good content right now. It's insane. Yeah, it's it's literally, it's it's literally free education. It's a free education that's being offered via Netflix. And it's, and, and one of the things, (laughs) and one of the things that I think is so interesting, it's a very um, accessible education, right? Like it's something that you can access easily and it's something that you, that's palatable in the sense of like, it's a movie, it's a series, it's something where you don't feel like you have to sit down with a textbook or, or a book and try to dig into it. You're able to sort of parse out some information from there. But I, you know, that's just me. Oh, it, it immediately makes me recognize what we know to be true, which is that mm-hmm. telling stories is always a part of the education process. <laughs> you know, that's, that's always yeah. going to be part of the vehicle. And, um, and I was thinking about this, you know, before this conversation, I was thinking to myself, it must be interesting as, um, as a storyteller, I, I, you know, I've been wrestling with this idea of like, how do I use my art to support this cause that I believe in, like, and, and do I have to, right? Like, do I have to Mm -hmm. use my art to sort of support the causes that are, that I feel most passionate about? And I'm wondering from your perspective, have you found that you're trying to lean on your art or your, your talents in that way, or are they very separate from sort of like that activism piece? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think in this time of COVID has definitely given us a time to reflect a lot, mm-hmm. um, especially in the industry, just what we've been working on these past couple of years. And I think um, I've definitely found myself kind of more lost and just making it to the top mm-hmm. than like realizing the messages I want to put out there. And especially given this current climate, I think it's, it's something I would definitely want to focus more on to be able to um, put out more stories from Black, Indigenous, people of color, um, and just working with a lot more uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color in my everyday life, like collaborating with them. Because I think the past few years, for me personally, I've been, I mean, I've been working at a rental house until it shut down due to COVID. And just that, I knew I wanted to get out and do something more creative and get Mm -hmm. back to shooting and being on set. But I think in doing so, my next step forward, I definitely want to make it a point to to surround myself with more Black, Indigenous, people of color, and and more women for sure, and just just putting out more diverse stories. And you know, it's all it's all great to to be working on like the big commercials and stuff to yeah. you know pay the bills. But I think it's also important. Uh, for those of us with the activism spirit to mm-hmm. still, you know, feed our soul a little bit and be able to to put out the good work and good stories that just need to get out there more. You know, one of the things that you said that I totally resonate with because I've heard this seems to be a reoccurring theme in these conversations, which is, you know, how do you reconcile trying to have a successful career with trying to mm-hmm. tell the stories that maybe matter to you the most, which aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily coalesce in, in, in everyone's career. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the people who are able to tell the stories that they want to tell and 
successful career at the same time are truly the mm-hmm. ones walking in like the blessed path. But I think that, mm-hmm. you know, some something that you're bringing up, I think is really the struggle for all of us as artists. And I think your point that you made is something that's really key, which is about maybe this time has made us be more intentional about what those next steps are going to be if for no other reason than to tell stories that only we can tell, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that we can't rely on other people to tell for us. And I think what you said about um, sort of seeking out or maybe being more intentional about being in rooms and being in spaces that are more diverse and more representative. Do you think that that's possible um, given sort of like the reckoning that's happening around race in our, specifically in our industry, do you think that that's mm-hmm. like a, a real possibility happening in the near future? I think so due to everything that's coming up. I mean, you already have Ava DuVernay with her own production company and um, Zoe Saldana has a production company here in Wesley called Bisa and America Ferrera started her own this past year. Just so many, so many women, women of color out there who are starting to put their own companies together. I mean, mm-hmm. Tyler Perry's whole studios in Atlanta too. I think, I think there are many of us now coming to the helms of being somewhat successful enough to be able to create their own spaces, and therefore, yeah. I think they're kind of opening the doors up for us down here still trying to get it together right um, <laughs> be able to yeah to be able to have these these creative spaces that you know I think we're, we've all kind of been yearning for um I think I'm I'm very hopeful like moving forward after just seeing all this and you know with with the whole blackout Tuesday just seeing a lot of studios you know com- you know trying to take action committing to change which sure. hopefully let's let's hope they like stay good to their word right <laughs> um but you know, I think I think it's forced a lot of people to start opening up their own horizons for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there's a really good film roundtable talk. I think it's on YouTube still um, with Bradford Young and Reed Morano this past week. That mm-hmm. was just so amazing to hear like these people who have quote in my sense like made it and they're doing big things, but just hearing the daily struggles they still continue to have and yeah. it's just interesting especially with the world of streaming like mm-hmm. how I think a lot of the studios are probably going to start dissolving because of just how easy streaming is but also there's not as much bureaucracy in streaming you know trying to yeah. get more stories out there you don't have to approve your stories like a board of old white men you know right totally so a lot more is going to be going out there so yeah, and it's um, so the streaming, the, what streaming did to the film industry, I think COVID is going to do to the entire industry, which is like mm-hmm. break down the middleman part of it. And, you know, for so long, there's been very definitive gatekeepers that you had to go through in order to be quote successful. And I know we keep throwing around this term successful and everyone has their own definition of that. But I think we're using sort of this quintessential idea of like working with a big studio house or working with maybe big budget productions. um, Mm -hmm. So, so using that as a frame for our listeners, but I do think that one of the things that I remember thinking initially as, as, 
a performer that sits primarily in front of the screen or on the stage, I, I remember thinking, this is going to really level the playing field for a lot of performers and actors who haven't historically had access. You know what I mean? They haven't been able to, you know, live in New York and go to auditions. They haven't been able to spend the summer in LA and try to network and do all those things. Like there's been this leveling of the playing field. And I think to your point, as a storyteller, it's never been easier to just put, put your work in front of the world. Um, in a way that it hasn't been done before. And I think you're right. I think maybe that will also, coupled with sort of this reckoning around race, will maybe create even more spaces for, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color to actually tell stories um, the way that they want to, which I think is really exciting. Do you think, yeah. um, do you think as a, as a community of Black and Brown artists that, um, that we're actually working together sort of united towards that end. I, Cause I feel like I've never felt more connected to my black and brown community. I always, I think we always have had these conversations of unity in these like pockets mm-hmm. <laughs> of our, of our mm-hmm. industry, but it seems very visible and present. And I'm wondering if you're experiencing sort of that same thing, or if you sense that there's, um, there's some momentum of unity around our creative community. Oh, a hundred percent. I think I feel like we black and brown communities have never been more united before. Mm-hmm. I think large part of it is just so much of the youth that's leading this conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you look back, I, I was been watching like so many documentaries about um, the '92 riots and just seeing how how divided we we were back mm-hmm. then here in LA and just comparing that time to where we are now we're exponentially so much more united as as kind of one people and it's I think a lot of that is due to the fact that a lot of the youth is holding this discussion and Mm -hmm. thankfully a lot of the youth don't have you know the past traumas that our parents and grandparents had you know I think America has done a great job in trying to divide us in every which way. And I think we've finally kind of broken through and just realized we're all humans. Right. And at the end of the day, and we've all been, I think we've all finally realized that the common enemy has really been the United States government. And it hasn't been any one of us other groups, you know? Right, right. I think it's, yeah. I think, I think I, it's it's important that we're finally uniting and gathering together and I think it's it definitely is opening up so many more doors and avenues for black and brown artists to, you know, really collaborate and get our stories told together, you know, like I'll help you on this one, you help me on the next one kind of thing. Absolutely. I'm really seeing a lot of that. Absolutely. I am too. And I think something that you said that is just resonating with me, and I say this often when recording, this is the reason why I love having conversations with people because it sparks something in my in my thoughts that I'm like, oh, I, I didn't think about it that way. And I think you're right. I think mm-hmm. that we what we're seeing now, because there has been a, a unity to this particular movement that I don't think that we've seen historically, just from yeah. the, the, the sheer matrix of people that have shown up at protests and and to be vocal i don't think we've seen before but i i never really could sort of assign why that 
was. And I think that something that you said really, I'm thinking about because I do think that our parents and our grandparents through the work that they have done both to educate us, to Mm -hmm. um, expand our sort of cultural horizons, just sort of generally speaking, have healed Mm -hmm. enough of the trauma that we're able to be united in ways that we weren't Mm -hmm. able to be united before. I mean, we're certainly still dealing with historical trauma as black and brown people, (laughs) but, but, but there's been enough healing that we're seeing people united in a way that's really encouraging. I, I can tell you that I am often moved by some of these videos that I see of like young teenagers who are just like passionate about like, wanting to be heard and it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to be any sort of um, thought for them about whether or not this is my issue or your issue or like what Mm -hmm. can I say I think that that tension gets stuck with like you know a certain age group and older who get really fearful Mm -hmm. about like well this isn't really my fight so I can't really say anything I think they're the young (laughs) the young population like maybe it's just sheer naivete that they're like it's all of our (laughs) issue like we we all we all have something to say which I think is really really encouraging (laughs) yeah Uh, I think yeah part of it is definitely a little naivete for sure I think you know they, they haven't gone out into the world and really experienced much yeah. of this. I think, you know, just just that raw emotion is really yeah. great to have in this time of just just seeing like, you know, we're, we're not taught to be racist at all. Right. When you see kids, you ask kids, you show kids a photo of, of mixed race kids and they don't see their, their race at all. They right. just see kids, see right. whether they're a boy or girl, if they're wearing a blue dress, if they're wearing a brown shirt they don't see race. So it's really something that, you know, teachers, our parents, society, like, puts upon us as we Mm -hmm. grow up. So it's just, I think it's really important to use the youth and, like, their, their opinions and their voices, Mm because it's really true, the rawest form of, like, humanity is still kind of in there. I love, yeah, older people, yeah, we as older people, we've been a little bit, uh, a little bit hardened by the world. But, um, I like to think I still have some of that in me. Um, Talk not quite to the point of like young people, because you know, but I, I think it's definitely good to be hearing those voices. And it's, it's honestly like, you know, with the invention of TikTok and like Instagram influencers, it's so great to hear that young people are still like great human beings despite all the stupidness that's happening on social media well well it's it's actually been really revelatory because i think that you know again we're all uh, guilty of assigning a label to something based on our perception mm-hmm. of it, right? And so, you know, we can be very quick to slap a label on anyone younger than us as like vapid or like not, you know, not in touch. And all they do is watch, you know, influencers and all this sort of stuff. But I think mm-hmm. what you said, you actually articulated it very well. The What I've loved about seeing it, it's the rawness of it. It's not mm-hmm. polished. They don't know what they should or shouldn't say. They're just saying what they feel. And I think mm-hmm. that as artists, maybe as an artist, maybe that's what I am 
hungry for just the purest, like uncut version of the human sentiment, I think is really, um, it's really addictive. And I, I, I actually said to someone, I said, I can't wait to see what stories come out of this time. You know, I yeah. just, it, it feels like it's just ripe with stories and yeah. narratives to come out of this. And that seems really exciting. No, yeah. I think these past couple of weeks have just been real invigorating for me as a creative person. Just like, I feel like the creative ju- juices are going again. I mean, we as creatives, I feel like we thrive off being around people. Mm-hmm. But since we can't quite do that right now, I think this virtual seeing everything going on has really stimulated me so much more than I mean I've been dying not really going out during this time (laughs) or seeing people or talking with people really I mean face to face at least but I think these past couple weeks have really just invigorating like my creative spark and just 100% 100% I 100% agree with you and I actually have Mm -hmm. I I the one thing that I've definitely been feeling is like, A, definitely this like resurgence of energy, of like creative energy. I have felt that. The other thing mm-hmm. is that, again, via social media, seeing so many artists like using their words to articulate where we are has been really beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. And, and to see people attempting to sort of tell stories like in real time has been really interesting as well. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel, I feel creatively re-energized um, in a way that hasn't happened since like pre-COVID, like since March. Yeah. <laughs> since March. Yeah. So that in and of itself has been really exciting. No, yeah, hundred percent. And even just seeing like a lot of older artists, I mean, Dave Chappelle's whole stand-up that really wasn't comedy but it was just a well-needed conversation and and monologue of this whole time like just seeing him kind of like he's also someone at his age is invigorated again yeah all this going on yeah it's 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 an interesting um it's an interesting time to be in my opinion, a storyteller. I mean, I think it always is, but I think it's an interesting time to be a storyteller because I think that if you're able to find any sort of way to share your narrative from whatever perspective it is, I think there's people who are hungry to hear it. And that's something I think to be hopeful for. What would you, if you could pin down like maybe one or two things that you're hopeful for as you're looking to the future, like let's get past COVID, like let's actually be human beings that can be in like physical contact with each other again. What what are some of the things that you're, you're hopeful for? Um, moving forward, geez. I mean, I think, yeah, that, that round table discussion with Bradford Young and Rhea Murano just made me so hopeful hearing what they've gone through and the things that they've been trying to do in this industry. I think Brad for young said it perfectly in that COVID has really magnified all the problems that we have, not just mm-hmm. in society, but in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially with the whole studio system and everything, I think people, I mean, right now people, the industry is trying to rework how we can reopen well in COVID. And that's really exposing. I think a lot of, things that have been wrong with this industry but you know we just kind of skidded by because for 
for money reasons, I think mainly, and I think um, in trying to open up, it's going to really put many people's minds to the test. And I think especially now with this whole conversation of race coming into play, I think many creatives are definitely going to be holding more production companies and studios accountable for sure mm-hmm. for how how they run their sets not just health wise but in terms of race which is exciting to see like we all we all hear like they're trying to prop up more uh black indigenous people of color but you know and we see a lot of directors and director of photography um and producers more so Mm. like above the line people but I'm really hoping that we also get a lot of below the line crew as well up there and getting a chance yeah um, for sure um yeah it's interesting I mean just hearing their whole discussion on YouTube was also great to hear because I mean Reed Murano she's such a badass woman she has shot so many films like seven eight months pregnant and gone back to set she actually mentioned that she was shooting a TV show, was pregnant, went to go give birth, came back two months. I think she came back for like the next season of the show and made her sister come every day with her baby in a bassinet was on set. Amazing. So that way she wouldn't have to be away from her child. And it's like, yeah, and it's interesting hearing like her, what she's been trying to fight for and someone like Bradford Young, who has been getting re- reunited and reconnecting with his kids because he's been gone so much and it's right. like why why do we as creatives have to leave our families at home like it, we should be able to bring kids to the set you know yeah in, in certain circumstances for sure but like I think it's it's important that we start inter like we spend so much of our days on set and working mm-hmm. with people that we should be able to integrate like our outside lives because mm-hmm. you know most of us are getting to that age where we're settling down and eventually want to have kids and we want that to be possible. I mean, I certainly, it's one of my biggest anxieties of like wanting to my career of becoming a DP and also wanting a family and kids. How do I balance the two and yeah, be able to, to justify both from, you know, my own happiness Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that you're mentioning that I really do think, you know, this happens periodically throughout history, which is the old system gets sort of shaken up and and, and, and it opens the door for what the new way of doing business is going to be. And I think we are absolutely living through that time. I think we are living through, we are actually watching the old system be dismantled. And so we're living through the unknown because right now yeah. no one knows what the future is going to be because I think that, and, and you hit on this, there's so many variables at play, right? You've got an industry mm-hmm. trying to recover from a global pandemic. That in and of itself is uncontrollable. We don't know how mm-hmm. long that's going to impact the business. We also have a growing population of creatives who are for maybe the first time for some of them going to be really holding studios, producers, directors accountable for the types of companies that they're running, the types of sets that they're Mm -hmm. governing. Like this is going to be a, a way of doing business that has never happened before. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's both exciting 
And it's also terrifying at the same time because yeah. you truly <laughs> don't know what's on the other side of it. But I think if, if nothing else, it's, it's a privilege that we get to be in, even if it's in a small way, a part of maybe trying to shift this into something that's a little bit more progressive. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I think the silver lining of COVID has definitely been that a lot of us are home and reflecting mm-hmm. a lot on just on our own decisions in life and the career. And I think it's really brought a lot of, um, things into perspective 100% and has gotten a lot of us to really shift to like yeah I was doing great but I really wasn't following you know my own ideals and my own priorities that Mm -hmm. I said I was going to be following at the start of this whole journey and now that we have this nice break to be like okay once I get back, I, I, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice pause and reset that we're having right now where, right. like you said, the industry, it's breaking down and we're going to have to rebuild it. So as we rebuild, how do we want it to look like? And yeah. I think that's exciting and terrifying, as you said, <laughs> right. that we, we get to make up this new industry that we're going to be going back to. And it's, it's really awesome to be a part of and just see happening. And Yeah. I love that. It's wild. That is absolutely the truth. It is wild. Well, Carolina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I, you know, I think yet again, it's such a privilege when people um, are willing to give up their time and their energy to just share and have a conversation. And I really appreciate the fact that you made some time to talk with us today. Um, For the audience, is there any place that people can find you? Any of your like socials? website anything that you want to let people know that they can find you if they want to learn more about you um yes i do have an instagram uh scott ovasquez dp c-a-r-o-v-a-z-q-u-e-z-d-p um i do spell i know most people spell vasquez v-a-s but i spell it v-a-z so i always have to make a point of (laughs) letting that be known um yeah, I have Instagram and I have my own website as well, uh, Carolina N. Vasquez at, at, uh, com. sorry. Um, so yeah, um, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-A-N-V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z.com. And we'll make sure and we'll make sure to have her Instagram and her website linked in the description for this episode. So that way people can actually find you um, and, and follow you and, and have more Carolina in their life, which I would say, (laughs) which I would say would be a good thing. Thank you so much, Carolina for today. I really appreciate it. Thank you to every single person who spent some time with us today. As I always say, I started this podcast as a place that I could share some of the things that I was thinking about primarily because I'm hopeful that it will spark something in you all to make you think and feel things a little bit more deeply. But if nothing else, I hope it was a positive little break in the middle of your day. Thank you all so much for listening and I will talk with you all soon. Bye. Bye.